Greetings, my fellow Freedom Lotus Sovereign Thinkers. Thank you for tuning in to the L3 Podcast. My name is Craig, transmitting for the beautiful realms of planet Earth. Today's date is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. This is episode 1580, entitled The American Rifle 14A Alter 2A. And SCOTUS agrees to hear 6A Challenge, which will all mean amendments, by the way, okay? Before I proceed, you can follow me on multiple social media sites and podcast channels. Let's type in Loki Luck number three, Loki Luck Roman number three, which are three eyes, or the Loki Luck Roman number three podcast. If you want to email me with any information, comments, questions, all that good stuff, go to Loki Luck numbers zero three at protonmail.com. If you want to donate, go to paypal.me or cash.app forward slash Loki Luck number three. Tomorrow, December 15th is Bill of Rights Day, which was last day signed it with Virginia, ratified it in the year 1791, which it really means government keep out on a federal level. And you got these subversified, subversive institutions, organizations, or other words, I call them quack groups, It's trying to suppress that. I'll give you one good example of the Any Defamation League. And I'm never a big, a big supporter of them for the past 31 years when I first heard about them. Never been impressed by any means. I emulate them or e- equal them to the Ku Klux Klan, the neo-Nazis, Antifa, etc. Why is that? Because that's what they do. And I, does it really get my goat when you have this global foreign agency going to the schools teach them about no place for hate. In my observation is more of indoctrinating rather than enlightening. This is what they do. If you criticize them, they want to label you anti-Semitic. They're one of those individuals that don't throw low hot air because they always like to do is shoot blanks. These other so-called Social justice warriors out there are just the same. They're nothing more than paper tigers. But they assume that if you criticize the Israeli government, they want to call you all these names. Why? But if you throw it back at them, they run like cars. They love dishing out but hate receiving. And I did write a letter to the Broward School Board members that I'm very disappointed that you want to continue to do this agreement with this institution. Because one thing about foreign influences is very dangerous. John Jay wrote about it in Federalist Papers 2 through 5 and George Washington's farewell address. This is why we do have, you know, the natural born citizens. The two, the two, both parents have to be citizens of this nation for their kids to be president. Why? Because of that particular ordeal. I aforementioned. And others out there want to refute it. You got nothing to say. If you don't like it, get the hell out. What's so hard about that? Alright? I believe in self-determination. Free thought. And I don't like people to try to suppress that. Or go after individuals. They've been doing it for a very long time, the Anti-Defamation League. They lie about militias, gun control, and Judaism. Even the late, great Aaron Zellman, Executive Director for Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership, wanted to challenge this 
organization, they don't have the balls to accept it. Why? Because they would have been torn to pieces and put out of business. Hatred and bigotry is their living. That's how they get these grants. They want they want everyone to conscript them, um, financially conscript them through the taxpayers. I heard there's supposed to be some five hundred million dollar grant they want. Hell no. It's like having David Duke say, "Hey, we we gotta do um do the same thing." People have will have a cow. The neo Nazis did like Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer with his you know white tribalist ideology. People would go ballistic. Why are you not doing this with this organization? Because people are afraid. I'm not. I'm not a guy who don't hate Jews. All right. As far as I'm concerned, Greenblatt is nothing more than another pretentious gino, Jew in name only. Is that gonna offend people? So what? Do your homework. Come back. We'll talk. I was like listening to Yay. He's just like the only thing I know what he's doing. He was just rally cages. All right. And he has some merit, believe it or not. It's funny because even these so called other individuals, the politicians claim to be Jewish and want you to take the vaccine. Prove to me these products are kosher. Prove it. And not going Jew bashing at all, my friends. It's just the damn truth. And people are learning about this a lot more thoroughly. Even organizations like the Nation of Islam or the National Alliance. I'm not too keen with them, but it doesn't mean I'm going to disagree with them everything they say. It's just, God, do your own homework. That's the main objective. And there's beautiful people out there who are Jewish, and they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, which is good. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, Going a religious outburst by anything, any means, but people have that those uh, um, those those creeds, and you and um and but the ADL and these uh, secular secular hacks don't want that. Something to really think about. If they want to take away people's free speech, you ask them this: Is Hitler your Lord and Savior? They wouldn't like it. They'll call you anti-Semitic. Boo-hoo! We like dishing up, but we hate receiving. That's what you call a criminal mind. These people like to mug and carjack people, but when, you, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the tables turn, they take a dump in their pants, they run like maniacs. They don't want to get killed for violating others. That's why I've always been observant. For all these years. And I'm no genius. Have all the answers. I support love my neighbor. But I don't want. A subverse organization. Trying to represent that. Pretty damn insulting. Far as I'm concerned. But I'd like to wish everyone. In these United States and beyond. A happy Bill of Rights Day. We should be celebrated every day. So I'm going to add a little. Um memo or a link from the JPFO on Bill of Rights. You got several sources on there and um, I've read, I read them all. It's very good. Which stands for Government Keep Out. 
No exceptions. On the state level, we have a Declaration of Bill of Rights. It's different, but they're very similar. All you got to do is read between the lines. Trust me, you don't need a lawyer to figure it out. It's self-explanatory. Everyone has that duty to know it. Not assume, not play kind of, sort of. It doesn't work. If you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. If you assume in front of a judge or a police officer, no. You want to lay down the facts the best you can. Not hot air rhetoric with your hands in your pockets. So that's how I look at things in my, in my world. I don't go around hating people for who they are. I judge them by their actions. And that's okay. You can hate the sin, not the sinner. Trust me, a lot of people, you'll feel better, right? <laughs> you don't want to hold any grudges because they get gray a lot quicker. So um, I'm just one of those individuals that love to speak my mind. And people that know me for a long time understand that. It doesn't matter what their background is. They respect my views. If they disagree, they have a little talk. Instead of, instead of a pissy match, which a lot of these folks are good at. Look at the folks from Twitter. All these little um, Orwellian snowflakes are running the hills. Running to the hills. Why? Because their little platform, which was going to hell in a handbasket, is being decimated. Yeah, and I do admire what Elon Musk is doing. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with him on everything. But what he, what the stuff he's exposing, I'll give him, I'll give him props. And I've seen this coming for a long time. The biggest mistake these idiots made, including Jackass Dorsey, they shadow banned people. Then their stocks went went down, plummeted to like I learned the most. If I if I remember, twelve dollars a share. That's not good business. That's stupidity. And everyone out there that's running that used to work for Twitter don't like it anymore. Too bad. You know what you do? How you pay your dues? You put it, put it, your hands in a bowl of pomala soap. I laugh at you guys. You're this pathetic, demented. Hey, if I was a boss and you went, oh, I used to work for Twitter before Elon Musk took over, I'd go, thank you very much. Have a nice day. That's what I would say. Because you were to ruin that, that job that you're telling me, hey, I'm a liability. So think about that. It's just the truth. You just left the fruit fruits of your labor in almost to extinction. And you want me to hire you? <laughs> I need respect. No, you earn it. To all you weak and pathetic individuals out there. Can't think for yourself. You get offended words, certain words hurt. Who cares? Free speech is more important than your feelings. If you don't like it, get the hell out of here. It's like when I see folks, you know, come from other places. They tell me this is how you do it in that state. I say, you know what? You pack your crap and leave. I don't care. Move. Go back. Deport yourself back there. People don't want your people don't want political garbage. Every state in this union have a different culture, lifestyle, and that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. I I, I honor it. I honor and appreciate it. I learn more. I don't want everyone to think like South Florida or everyone to think like New York City. Come on, grow up. That's what's great about this world. You can learn so much and better yourselves. I've done it. I know everyone out there do do and can fulfill it. Just got to 
follow your heart and soul and see what you really want. Well, enough of my ranting. I'll be right back, so stay tuned. Cool, so we're going to be talking about a couple of articles from Reason.com. It's called. It's under the Volok Conspiracy. Hope I pronounced that name correctly. This is from Stephen Holbrook. Came out on the 12th of December. It's entitled America's Rifle. The AR-15 is protected by the Second Amendment. There's actually a book on this, and I haven't read it, but he's, I'll say this. I might have to get a copy, because one thing about Mr. Holbrook, he's very good. Very meticulous, too, when it comes to the right and keeping bare arms. So it says here, thanks, Eugene, for inviting me to post about some of the, the developments in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Bruin held that New York's limitation of issuance of permits to carry a handgun to those who official, officials decide to have a special need violates the Second Amendment, which protects the infringement on the right of the people to bear arms. The government may not limit that right to a privileged class. And I'll be, I'll step back for a moment. I'll be very sincere. Even though the state, New York State Constitution doesn't have a, um, right to keep and bear arms, but if you read their Bill of Rights, Article 1, Section 1, disenfranchising any individual in New York, especially the residents, it's illegal. So, that's what you see by privilege class. Uh, so, you, you can't, if you believe in a privilege class, you're contradicting that particular supreme law of the Empire State. I'll continue on. One of the hot-button issues that is being relig religionized excuse me, after Bruin is whether banning semi-automatic rifles such as the AR-15 violates the Second Amendment. I argue that it does in my book, in my new book, America's Rifle, the case for AR-15. It covers text and present, English and colonial history, the founding, and how the constitutional right to, be, to, arm, to, right to arms kept peace with the development of firearms. I'll, I'll never, I hate to use that word constitutional right. It's a natural right, and I love you there, Stephen, okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll proceed. The expired federal ban of 1994 was a true aberration from a Congress that has almost never actually banned a type of firearm. When Bruin was decided, six states restricted permits to carry handguns. California, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New York. Five of those states, excluding Hawaii, plus Connecticut, also prohibited possession of firearms. They derogatorily called assault weapons. And to be very honest, they just contradicted their own state constitution, folks. All you gotta do is start reading you, all you got, and you get them every single time. You don't need a lawyer to figure that one out. A week after Bruin was handed down, the governor of Delaware sent a law adding that state to the list. In the most of the 20th century, the anti-gun movement focused on banning handguns Rifles and shotguns were said to be good. Pistols and revolvers bad. The, the, the Colt AR-15 uh, sporter rifle hit the civilian market in 1964, the same year that Colt made its first deliveries of the M16 to the Air Force. The AR-15 is semi-automatic, requiring a separate function of trigger for each shot, while the M16 is automatic, meaning it fires continuously as long as the trigger is pulled back. Despite the basic that basic difference, they look similar on the outside, causing 
um, violence policy center see the potential for confusion in the public. The idea labeling AR-15 like rifles, assault weapons, banned them was born. In 1989, California became the first state to ban assault weapons, which it defines to include a list of makes and models such as AR-15. We challenged that law in Fresno Rifle Pistol Club versus Van de Kamp, 1992, but the Ninth Circuit held the Second Amendment does not apply to the states. Supreme Court says has since ruled that it does in McDonald vs. Chicago, 2010. Like I said before, read your state constitution. California's constitution, Article 1, Section 1, natural rights are considered inalienable. Boom! You can't own firearms without using 2A in California. Okay, I'm just giving you facts. All you gotta do is look at the state constitutions, alright? Don't be afraid, because trust me, you get a lot more ammunition against those maggots that are trying to take it away from you. In District of Columbia versus Heller, 2008, the Supreme Court held that as a textual matter, the Second Amendment extends prima facie to all instruments that constitute bearable arms. Turning to history, the Supreme Court determined that historical limitations on carrying dangerous and unusual weapons provided a bound on the scope of the right. Thus, while dangerous and unusual weapons can be banned, arms in common use at the time for lawful purposes like self-defense cannot. The common use test was plain, so when a district banned assault weapons, aka semi-auto rifles, we mounted the challenge. The D.C. Circuit in Heller vs. D.C. 2011, Heller 2, conceded that the banned rifles are indeed in common use, but balanced the right-of-way under intermediate scrutiny. And Judge Brett Kavanaugh dissented on the basis that semi-automatic rifles have been in lawful use for over a century and passed Heller's common use test. With intermediate scrutiny to the rescue, other circuits copied Heller too and upheld the bans in several states. Those decisions created a distorted image since most states do not have bans and so other circuits have not opened on the issue. And now comes Bruin, collapsing the House of Cards. Conduct within the plain text of the Second Amendment is presumptly protected, and a restriction may be valid only if the government shows it to be consistent with this nation's historical tradition. Text history is in, means and scrutiny is out, and the history, or analogs thereof, that matters is 1791 and the initial decades that follow as long as consistent with the text and early history. Under the Heller test, as elaborate upon by Bruin, AR-15s and similar semi-automatic weapons may not be prohibited. Indeed, Heller and Bruin together establish a test for any ban on firearms, and that test makes clear that all firearms in common use for lawful purposes are protected and cannot be banned. AR-15s and other similar firearms come within the plain text because they are bearable arms. Heller and Bruin both established that the Second Amendment extends presumptively to all bearable arms. Second, banning such firearms is not consistent with this nation's history. Indeed, the Supreme Court established that such a ban is inconsistent with this nation's history nearly 30 years ago by holding that AR-15 rifles traditionally have been widely accepted as lawful possessions. Staples versus U.S. 
1994. What is more, the historical boundaries of protected arms have already been established in Heller and Bruin. Those cases make clear that the only arms that are not protected are dangerous and usual weapons, which necessarily entails that citizens have a right to possess and use arms that are in common use today. For this reason, historical analogs have no place here. The Supreme Court has done a historical analysis and set forth the common use test. Can the government possibly show that AR-15 rifles are dangerous and unusual? Not at all. They are among the most popular firearms in the nation. Recent data indicates that Americans own at least 24 million AR-15s and similar rifles, that they constitute 20% of all firearms sold in recent years, and that they are used for lawful purposes such as self-defense, training, and hunting. It follows that Americans have a Second Amendment right to own and use them. And readers do not simply indeed need to take my word for it. This is supported by the analysis of three Supreme Court justices. Justice Thomas, author of The Bruin, in his dissent from, from denial of cert in Freeman v. Highland Park 2015. Justice Kavanaugh, in his dissent in Heller 2 and Justice Alito and his concurrence in Contano versus Massachusetts 2016. It's funny about the Massachusetts. They even have, if I'm correct, they do have a right to keep bear arms as well in their own state constitution. So all those laws up there, folks, are void and without force. You don't need a permit. You don't need a license. You don't need insurance or anything like that. Anything that's repugnant to their own state constitution is an illegal contract. But they don't want you to know that, right? Of course. When the Supreme Court decided Bruin, it issued a GVR grant cert vacate and remand, remand to the Fourth Circuit's decision in Bianchi versus Froche for further consideration in light of Bruin. There, that's a polite way of saying get in the right Get it right next time. The case that similarly affirmed that Circuit's prior decision in Colby versus Hogan, that's in 24th Circuit 2017, and Bonk, which upheld Maryland's assault weapons ban as part as the first post-Bruin Circuit to reconsider such a ban, the oral argument on December 6th is worth listening to. Some, some takeaways... From the argument, if I'm correct, there's a link for that, right? Absolutely. So I'm going to go back. You can hear it for yourselves. So um, that's pretty damn cool. And uh, where are you? Okay, hold on here. Yeah, there's a link for that, which is awesome. And that says here, um, Kobe rejected the common use test and held that AR-15s are not protected because they are the most useful military in military service. Never mind that no military in the world issues mere semi-automatics. That's the wrong test. Maryland also rewrites the common use test to say instead that the only arms protected are those in common use for self-defense. That is not a test. Heller tells the, that, arm, that arms, excuse me, that's a tongue-tied here. Heller tells us that arms commonly used for lawful purposes, not just for self-defense, are protected under the Second Amendment. 
Maryland does not concede that the AR-15 is in common use and seeks remand for further discovery. Seriously? Bruin was decided as a matter of law based on the pleadings and rejected any need for a remand for further factual development. Maryland argues that AR-15s are not in common use for self-defense because shots are rarely fired. But Heller required no showing of how often handguns are actually fired in self-defense to prove common use, which means possession for that purpose. As a fallback, Maryland wants to show that at least some of the rifles in the list are not in common use and the law is severable. Plaintiffs respond that they are all of, of the same general type that no further facts need to be developed. Hello was fiercely resisted by the lower courts. Keep your fingers crossed for what the Fourth Circuit immediately rules. Tomorrow I will address how Bruins plain text concept is being treated by lower courts. Yeah, it's pretty interesting there, right? <laughs> I'm gonna have to read that. But um it's very it's good to know these things, my friends. They don't, and the fact is, even on the state level, common, uh, commonwealth and all that, they don't want you to know your rights within their jurisdiction. They assume they're higher than everybody else, and their lawyers, they know more than all of you guys. Uh-uh. Doesn't work like that. You folks have the power to tell them where to go. It's not that hard. Very simple. They are your servants, not your masters. If they want to take away certain firearms, you ask them this. Can you prove to me the police are obligated to protect me as an individual? If they give you stare a, a look there staring at headlights, <laughs> that means no. You're in the first line of defense. That's it. You believe Baltimore, people in Baltimore, the police are going to come, come, come to their aid if... All hell breaks loose. They got a lot in their plate. You got to try to take care of your own affairs. Even the rural areas of Maryland and all these other states, they have a different realm. They're a sheriff's office and so forth. It's like maybe 20, 30 miles away. And it's a fact. So you got to always have to look at these areas. But you folks have a natural right to keep and bear arms. Plain and simple. So this is how I see it. And there's another article right next to this I'm going to be talking about in a little bit on my next segment, so stay tuned. All right, so the next article I'm going to read by Stephen Holbrook once again from the Volok Conspiracy from Reason.com. Did the 14th Amendment alter the meaning of the Second Amendment? 1791, not 1868, is the key date for determining the original understanding of the Second Amendment. That's what Mr. Holbrook has to say. When proposed the 14th Amendment of Congress in 1866, Senator Jacob Howard referred to the personal rights guaranteed and secured by the first eight amendments of the Constitution, such as freedom of speech and of the press, the right to keep and bear arms. He arrived that great object of the amendment was to restrain power of the states and compel them compel them at all times to respect these fundamental guarantees. The design was not to change the nature of the rights, but prevent the states from violating them. 
The Second Amendment was ratified in 1791, and the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868. The Supreme Court stated in D.C. v. Heller 2008 and repeated this year in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin, constitutional rights are enshrined with the scope they were understood to have when the people adapted them. So do we look for that understanding in 1791 or in 1868? The simple answer would be that the substantial nature of the right is defined by the reference to its origins in 1791, while the understanding that is a fundamental right intended to be applied to the states would be found in 1868. But a litigation-driven, proconceived, yeah, proconceived, okay, preconceived, excuse me, outcomes are at work. Few farm restrictions existed at the founding, but more were adapted in the decades after the 14th Amendment, and the incentive thus exists for opponents of the right to keep and bear arms to root for 1868 as a crucial date in order to find historical analogs to current restrictive laws. Bruin held that when the Second Amendment's plain text covers an individual's conduct, the Constitution presumptively protects that conduct. To justify regulation, the government must demonstrate that the regulation is consistent with this nation's historical tradition of farms regulation. In the aftermath of the Civil War, there was an outpouring of discussion of the Second Amendment in Congress and in public discourse as people debated whether and how to secure constitutional rights for newly free slaves. Ninth Amendment, what's so hard about that, right? Exactly. Stated Heller, citing this author's freedmen, the 14th Amendment, and the right to bear arms. However, the court continued those discussions took place 75 years after the ratification of the Second Amendment, and thus they do not provide as much insight into its original meaning as earlier sources. In deciding that the Second Amendment applies to the states through the 14th Amendment in court, in the court in McDonald versus Chicago 2010 focused not on the meaning of the light, but is on the fundamental charter, both at the founding and during Reconstruction. The court found particularly instructive the Freeman's Bureau Act of 1866, which secured to all citizens with regard to race the right to have full and equal benefit of all laws and proceedings concerning personal liberty and personal security including the constitutional right to bear arms, one can hear echoes of Blackstone in those concepts handed down by the founders. The object was thus to extend the rights of all citizens, not to change the nature of the right, as MacDonald explained. The Bill of Rights guarantees incorporated under the 14th Amendment are enforced against the states, according to the same standards that protect those personal rights against federal encroachment. And that commandeering doctrine. Just as the meaning of the rights to free speech and against unreasonable searches and searches and seizures are found in the understanding of 1791. So it is the meaning of the right to keep and bear arms. The Supreme Court has never found that the primary meaning of any provision of the Bill of Rights to be is to be determined by how it was understood in 1868. As Bruin remarked. When it comes to interpreting the Constitution, not all history is create, e, created equal. And further, 
to the extent later history contradicts what the text says, the text control. The court acknowledged ongoing scholarly debate on whether courts should primarily rely on the prevailing understanding of an individual right when the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868 when defining its scope, but saw no need to address the issue because the public understand the right to keep and bear arms in both 1791 and 1868 was, for all relevant purposes, the same with respect to public carry. And I understand, it's funny, he looks like he's addressing about non-freed persons. It didn't say what race or color ain't like that. They, they claim, American the original constitution, talking about they have three-fifths of rights. But when you when you look at it, when everyone got, um, became all like equal under law, that's a natural right under the Bill of Rights. So 14th Amendment, there's some controversies on that. And I did a show many years ago on my speaker page. And there's some interesting um, reports on it, too. And people should need to look that up, on the controversy of the 14th Amendment. I say that out of respect. So as, as it reads here, the sources cited for the punitive debate, punitive debate, a pre-Heller book by Professor Akil Amar and a pre-Bruin essay by Professor Kurt Losh failed to make a convincing case of the meaning of the Bill of Rights change in 1868. First, it guarantees against federal violations have always been applicable since its ratification in 1791, and it would be incongruous, wait, incongruous to have a different Bill of Rights applicable to the states. Second, the Supreme Court president has always looked into this, looked to the 1791 understanding as a crucial period for the meaning of the guarantees, and a contrary rule invented for the Second Amendment has no basis in those precedents. Third. Advocates of the 1868 theory rely on the privilege or immunities clause of the 14th Amendment, but the court has never relied on the clause for incorporation. And fourth, there's no indication that anyone at any time, at the time, excuse me, though thought that this was the 14th Amendment would accomplish. And there's nothing in the text of the amendment to support it either. For detailed analysis of the above controversy, see Mark W. Smith, Attention Originalist. The Second Amendment was adopted in 1791, not 1868. That was published in Harv J.L. and Publishing Poly Pure Corim. There's a link for that in, 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 the, no, in the longer version in SSRN. There's links for that as well on, the, on, this web, web, on this page, so check it out. It argues that only... Historical analogs found from the founding may be used to determine the meaning and scope of the Second Amendment, and that post-Civil War historical analogs may not undercut or contradict 1791 protections, but may only confirm them. As to the slight uptick in gun regulation during the late 19th century, mostly in the Western territories, the Bruin Court found that such evidence cannot provide much insight into the meaning of the Second Amendment when it contradicts ev early, earlier evidence. Moreover, Bruin continues, such localized restrictions could not overcome the broad evidence elsewhere of the public, of public carry. They were rarely subjected to judicial scrutiny, and they were short-lived. Desperate to uphold bans, government defendants are appealing to all kinds of non-agnagalist, Analogous 
outliers in their brief. One is a short-lived ban on the sale of Bowie knives in a tiny handful of states, and that's supposed to be analogous of today's bans on possession of semi-auto rifles and standard magazines. Such bans are in no way analogous to today's prohibition on commonly possessed firearms regarding the citation to post 14th Amendment outliers by D.C. to justify its rifle ban, then Judge Kavanaugh referred in his dissent in Heller to D.C. Circuit 2011. To the Powell City of President sustaining bans comparable to those issued here and in Heller. In short, there's only one Second Amendment. It means what it meant in 1791. Although analysis of attitudes in 1868 is relevant to determining whether the Second Amendment is incorporated, that does not change the fact that what was incorporated was the pre-existing right to keep and bear arms. Post-1868 evidence cannot be used to contradict that original understanding. And I have to agree because all you got to do is study the past. Read a lot on this matter. So far as I'm concerned, it is a natural right. And I'm going to read what the Second Amendment means from the JPFO's website, which is part of that one link. You can look at all that. And it says here, Well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. What does that mean? Individuals, the people, have the right to own and use weapons without interference from the government. Bingo! Score! Boom! No exceptions. Is why you have a natural right, not a privilege. And all those hacks out there that still support licensing people to own firearms, are delusional because they failed history. When people ask me that question, I go, do you support, are you pro Jim Crow? And like I said, they looked at me and go, huh? Because he never thought of it. If you don't haven't learned from the past, folks, you're damn to repeat it. You're going to be a free person or a slave. I'd rather live free. And we just, obstacles we got to go through, but we can always better ourselves. This is why I tell everybody it's okay it's a right to carry. It's not a privilege but a natural right. I'll be right back for my final segment so stay tuned. Alright, I'm going to do one more here. This came from the Rutherford Institute Rutherford.org on the front lines. Supreme Court agrees to hear case challenging government efforts to undermine Sixth Amendment rights on fairly denied protections to citizens. And this is what it has to say here. I believe it's from Mr. Whitehead himself. The Supreme Court has agreed to determine whether the government is circumventing critical constitutional safeguards against being tried in an improper location and double jeopardy, which prohibits the government from prosecuting someone twice for the same crime. In asking the court to hear Smith versus United States, 
The Rutherford Institute, Cato Institute, and National Association for Public Defense urged the court to rein in the government's power to indiscriminately pick and choose the laws by which it will abide, especially as it relates to the rights of the accused in criminal cases. We now live in a society in which a person can be accused of any number of crimes without knowing exactly what he has done, said Constitutional Attorney John W. Whitehead, president of the Rutherford Institute and author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People. Folks, check the book out. It's very good. The Sixth Amendment serves as an antidote to the abuses of the American police state, ensuring that when people are accused of a crime, they know that they are being charged with and are given the opportunity to a fair, speedy, and public trial, an impartial jury, the right to a lawyer, and the chance to confront and question their accusers. Smith v. United States is one of two cases on appeal to the United States Supreme Court that raised concerns about the government diminishing a person's right under the Sixth Amendment. The Supreme Court refused to hear the appeal in the second case, Karami v. Arizona. A leaving a lower court ruling in a place that undermines the long-standing right to have a fair trial by an impartial jury of 12 fellow citizens. In his dissent over the denial of Karami, Justice Neil Gorich agreed with the arguments advanced by the Rutherford Institute and the ACLU in their infamous brief and warned that allowing juries of less than 12 people for serious criminal charges continues to undermine the integrity of the nation's judicial proceedings and denial the American people a liberty their predecessors long and justly considerable and viable. And the thing about double jeopardy, that's what I'm telling people. Read your state constitution. If I'm correct, Article 2 of Declaration of Rights and the Arizona's Constitution talks about that. Folks, please, I stress this enough. You got to know the rights in the states you live in. Plain and simple. We have those obligations. Many of you have sworn an oath as registered voters to protect and defend both U.S. and state constitutions. And the individuals in those governmental positions got to do the same thing. Period. With no exceptions. Smith v. United States involves the right to be tried in a district where an alleged crime was committed. Although Timothy Smith was convicted of theft of trade secrets for acts he committed while in Alabama involving computer servers located in the middle district of Florida. Smith was charged and tried in the north district of Florida. Smith appealed, noting that he'd been tried in the wrong district. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals vacated Smith's conviction, but held that he could be retired for the same offense in the proper district without implicating the double jeopardy clause. In the so amicus brief submitted in Smith, Attorneys for the Rutherford Institute, Cato Institute, and the National Association for Public Defense argue that the government should not be permitted to try to defend it in the district other than where the alleged crime occurred. The legal coalition warned that if the government can simply pre-prosecute defendants who were tried in the wrong district, then there is no sufficient consequence to deter the government from selecting an unfair location for trial. Just as the British Crown removed colonial defendants overseas in England to be tried. Further, the government will be effectively allowed to circumvent protections against double jeopardy and perpetually retry and accuse in one district after another. 
Michael Lee Ming Wong, Robert K. Volher, Vladimir J. Semendier, and Philip Hemsley of Gibson, and Dunn, Crutcher's LLP, Advanced Their Arguments, and Smith's Amicus Brief, available at Rutherford.org. Wow. And I'm going to give you a little summary of this case, because there's links for that. There's a link for the documents on this Amicus Brief, Smith versus the United States. It's under summary of argument. This court should grant the petition for certiorari and reverse the 11th District decision. In addition to clear the circuit split on the question presented, see pet petition 14-22, the petition presents an exceptionally important question about the right to proper venue and the jury trial guaranteed more generally. The question will continue to divide courts across the country unless the court grants review. And his, here it says here, one, Roman numeral one to be exact, this court reviews is necessary to resolve a highly significant question about the scope of the right to proper venue. The constitutional right to be tried in the district where the crime took place has a rich historical basis dating back to the Magna Carta. This right both ensures that the jury renders a judgment that is representative of the local community where the crime allegedly occurred, and it also serves as a checks on abuses of gov government power. This court reviewed is necessary to safeguard this right in such jurisdictions as the 11th Circuit, where the government may violate the venue clause without consequence, thus also undermining the very right to a jury trial by discouraging criminal defendants from raising meritorious venue defense. Defenses, excuse me. And here is two, Roman numeral two. This court should grant sedatory because venue is constitutional requirement in every criminal trial. Criminal defendants are entitled to clarity about the scope of their constitutional protections. Until the court resolves the circuit split here, the venue right and jury trial right will continue to suffer from uncertainty. A criminal defendant's constitutional right to a proper venue and, in many cases, a defendant's right to a trial by a jury will otherwise depend of the happenstance of which circuit hosts that criminal trial. The need for national uniformity on essential constitutional guarantees provides another important reason for granting review. And you can read this in its entirety to get that link on there. And I will read you the Sixth Amendment of our Constitution, Bill of Rights, from the JPFO's own website. In all criminal prosecution, the accused shall enjoy a right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. What does that mean? Trials cannot be reasonably postponed 
are held in secret. In any criminal case against you, you have a right to a public trial by a jury of unbiased citizens, thus ensuring that the state can't use a party-line judge to railroad you. The trial must be held in the state or region where the crime was committed. You cannot be held without charges. You cannot be held on charges that are kept secret from you. You have the right to know who is making accusations against you and to confront those witnesses in court. You have the right to subpoena witnesses to testify in your favor and the rights of services of an attorney. Bingo! Prima facie just cause. Everyone else wants to use their baseless defense. Have a penile microphone handy because you're going to mumble it, gargle it, and make no sense at all. I hope it will be justice for Mrs. Smith in this matter because if it happens to him, who's going to be next? Always got to look at the president, the bigger picture. This is why we have to protect our Bill of Rights culture. No more compromises. To hell with these dinkleberries, rhetorical geniuses have to say. But as far as I'm concerned... I go by prima facie, not what the used car sales jokers states. It's that simple. You have the right to a fair trial. Even your own state constitution, wherever you're at, look at all this thoroughly. No more bitching. No more complaining. You got to take action. And each and every one of you beautiful people in these United States have an obligation. No exceptions. If you complain and don't take action, then you got nothing to say. Shut the hell up. That's my intake on it. I would love to hear from you. That will be it. Like, thank everyone for listening. But feel free to download and share it throughout your social media networks. If any questions, comments, and sense on this interesting check out, whatever you do, please send all your correspondence to the quorum. Furthermore, I'll leave all the footnotes of the show on my page. Contact me via email. Go to LokiLuckNumbers03 at ProtonMail.com. If you want to donate, go to PayPal.me or Cash.app forward slash LokiLuckNumber3. If you want to support Reason, JPFO, Rutherford Institute, do it. All the links are there. And the sites, you can be members, donate. It'll be great. Trust me, you won't regret it. Once again, thank you for your time. Plus, always remember that the demoniac resistance is healthy for the soul and can liberate humanity. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Keep on spreading the love. May your guardian spirits be with you.